Hello, BAFTA, and welcome to today's panel talk on virtual production, um, the new era of filmmaking. I hope you're well. My name is Sally Ann Houghton. I am a member of the Epic Games London Innovation Lab. And our primary objective is to come together with the creative community and help their unreal real-time creative endeavors. And we do that in lots of different ways. If you joined us yesterday, you would have heard a little bit more about the lab. So I'm not gonna go into it today, but if you do wanna hear more, then connect with me on one of the many digital platforms where we all live now. So yesterday was all about information. Uh, what is virtual production? What is game engine technology? Um, how, how does it work? What is the functionality? Today is all about personal experiences. And we have an amazing panel of experts who have a wealth of personal experience with game engine technology and, um, and with virtual production. So um, I'll introduce you to them all in a moment. They all like a little bit of chat. So I do not think that I will need to fire questions constantly at them in order to have some kind of um, constant uh, talking. But what I would love to do is to move the conversation through three main areas. The first is what are the benefits of virtual production? Um, talking from personal experiences, let us know what are the benefits of, what are the creative benefits, what are the budgetary benefits, the logistical benefits of using virtual production. The second area that I'd love for us to cover is what are the watch outs? What um, this is cutting edge technology. It's often being used for the first time. So it'd be great for the BAFTA audience to, to hear some of the moments where things didn't necessarily go to plan um, and we can all learn from them. And then the third area that I think would be really, really useful for us to talk about are what are the concerns? What does this technology that is revolutionizing um, the production industry what does it mean for me, my role, crews, sets? What can I do? And I think if we bring to the forefront some of these concerns, then um, hopefully we can help alleviate those concerns. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to the panel. If you can all turn your screens on now. That oh, thank you, oh my gosh. Um, I'm gonna introduce you to the panel. I'm going to give you their very formal grown up industry names and then hand over to each of them to tell you a little bit more about who they are and how they fit into this landscape. So in no particular order, <laughs> um, we have Sol Rogers, CEO and founder of Rewind and the chair of the BAFTA Immersive Entertainment Advisory Group. We have Adrian Shuto or AJ to his friends, virtual production producer at Magnopus. We have his son, head of VFX at Rebellion Studios. And we have Haz Dullal, producer and director extraordinaire. So Sol, may I hand to you first, in no more than two minutes, Tell us a two, no more than two minutes. I'll be turning your mic off. Um, tell us a little bit more about you and how you fit into this, this virtual production landscape. Uh, see, it's not a US presidential debate, debate, so we won't have to be able to talk over each other, so it'll be fine. Um, virtual production. So uh, having worked within kind of visual effects and games for a very long time, um, there's always been an idea of trying to bring the two methodologies and pipelines together. It's really been divergent. 
one is about you know being an active participant in a world and one is being a passive uh, observer and I think we've all wanted to get to a point where the tools and the pipelines and the worlds we're creating didn't feel like we were doubling up you'd often get like a uh, Ghost, Ghost in the Shell would want a VR version of it or a game version of it and a feature film version of it. And every time you'd be handed over assets from a film company, they wouldn't work in a game engine or a game engine asset wouldn't be high enough quality to work in film. What we finally have now with the kind of this current retake on what virtual production is, is that those game engine technologies are now good enough for finished pixels. And so what that means is that the worlds that are creating in the real-time engine not only can be delivered for linear film, but also can be used for other worlds, immersive worlds, and kind of games production downstream. So I'm really excited about how that it's finally bringing the two disciplines together in a way that doesn't feel kind of like a clash. Beautiful, beautifully said. And I'm going to just move around my screen um, so has your next to me on the screen. Tell us a little bit more about um, how you fit into all of this. I know if I could top what Sol just said. I mean, Sol just smashed it. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> you can just go ditto um, if you want. <laughs> I could go ditto. Uh, well, for me, like, I, I came from live action. So I directed two feature films. I've both been on Netflix. I did a television show for Disney called Fast Lane, which is now on, on Disney+. Plus. And all of my projects, feature films and TV shows have used elements of virtual production. You know, at the time I was using a lot of visual effects, a lot of green screens, a lot of rear projection. And it's only like, you know, the last year or so I've been diving into real time um, technology, mainly because, you know, we got to a point where we can't shoot live action, right? For obvious reasons. So I've had to divert and pivot my career towards, you know, using real time solutions to create animated content, specifically animated feature films, animated series, but still utilizing all of the experience as a director working in live action, my visual effects skills, and kind of marry that together. And, you know, as the advent of Unreal Engine gets better and better, I've realized that those lines between, you know, like live action and CGI, are, they're kind of blurring now, especially with real time technology. And the things that, you know, that I was pitching in LA like a year ago where the studio would just tell me like, get out, there's no way we'd be able to do that, it's cost fortune. I'm now in a position where like, actually we could do this now. And you know, that specifically comes in with virtual production, which is what we're gonna be talking about today. So that's where I fit in. Amazing. Uh, and then just below you, I don't know if that's the same for everyone, but just below you is Hison. Hi everyone. I think it's a bit difficult now for me because you two kind of summarized pretty much everything I was gonna go in through my head and what I'm <laughs> gonna say now, right? This is like, Ultrally difficult now. So I I kind of started my career in the game industry. Really, uh, I've been in the game industry for ten years. So I always drawn into real time technologies uh, for graphics, and I I also involved in, in the VR development and working on VR games. So in my head, it was like, you know, this efficiencies and real time content. How can we really use that in the film production? So then uh, in recent years, I luckily enough to involve the in post-production in uh, Lion King's Maleficent and literally Mandalorian, which is the first uh, uh, virtual production experience that, uh, that I had. Then, uh, uh, then lucky enough, I got an opportunity and coming back to Rebellion, the game division, uh, uh, to form this new uh, studio and setting up a new visual effects team and uh, virtual production team. So I thought, wow, this is a fantastic opportunity. The opportunity I would be able to bridge in the technology between both the industry 
and try to work out a hybrid solution um, to really, really enhance the efficiency and the experience of the filmmaking. So at Rebellions, our pipelines and everything is um, uh, divided. As there are productions in real time already using Unreal Engine for final pixels, like what has uh, just described. And also recently we have uh, done a virtual production shoot just two months ago, uh, which is Percival, which also directed it, has myself and has worked together side by side and uh, on set as well as to create a virtual environment together. Um, so yeah, so uh, really I'm, I'm here today to share those experiences with all of you and to, to kind of enhance this technology even further. Uh, thank you. And AJ? Yeah, so uh, I started my career kind of opposite from, uh, from Hisan. I, I started in the visual, visual effects side. So my first uh, movie outside of school was Alice in Wonderland. Uh, and I was working with Sony Imageworks for about eight years after I graduated school. And the great thing about Sony was they always were interested in adding a new technology to a film shoot and to a production because they saw that there was um, avenues there to allow their filmmakers to kind of express, express their creativity in new ways by utilizing new technology. And whether it was motion builder on stage, whether it was sphere on captures for lighting and camera data, whether it was mocap camera live sessions in Maya, there was always like this drive to utilize new technology to allow a filmmaker to, to kind of be more hands-on in the process. And that always intrigued me. I've always kind of been a lover of tech. I've, I've attended every CES that I've been able to go to. Like I, I, I just kind of thrive on technology. So when I had the opportunity to, to join Magnopus and to build a system that was really kind of grounded in real time where everything was gonna be this new system um, utilizing technology and allowing the filmmakers to be not just a participant in a screening room giving notes uh, on a big screen, but to be hands-on and to shoot the movie with the, the film tools they're used to, with the film crews they're used to, um, and to really create this product that they had ownership over. Uh, it was just, it just felt like such a great opportunity. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's kind of my first foray into virtual production and kind of what, uh, I guess, where we're starting now. Well, you, um, AJ, you physically uh, or visually were in the presentation yesterday. I don't know whether you you realize, but um, <laughs> in one of my demo videos that people actually see you on set of the Quaker demo. Great. I, uh, I did happen to miss that. But yes, the uh, was it the uh, the SIGGRAPH demo for the, the motorcycle? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What a great I mean, what a great example. <laughs> what a great example of the technology. I mean, that was a that was really kind of a conglomeration of some pretty uh, outstanding companies coming together to put that demo on uh, of where the technology is heading. Um, and yeah, I mean, what a, what a time to be alive, right? Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> the one thing I didn't mention to the audience is that if you have any questions that you would like to put to the panel, I'm gonna make sure there's time at the end so um, if you put it into the Q&A section, I will um, have a look through and try and fire some of those questions, either, you know, if they're part of the current discussion, try and like weave them in. And if not, we'll try and do some questions at the end. Um, so Haz, tell us about one or a, a mix up of your experiences so that we can hear about the benefits of virtual production of game engine technology. 
Sure. I mean, I've been quite fortunate this year where I've managed to kind of use Unreal Engine to actually create animated content, you know, like Mutant Year Zero, which is the future film I'm currently in early prep on based on the video game, you know, to create full animated shows or full animated films. That's been in a really fortunate position. So, you know, using Unreal for that has been really useful. But, you know, before that, you know, my whole idea of jumping into Unreal was last year, September. I think it was version 422, if I remember correctly. And it's the first time I used it. So, you know, I had no training in it at all. Just went on YouTube and just watched a bunch of videos. And I was using it for previs, essentially just for previs. We couldn't, you know, we're an independent production company. We didn't want to go spend money hiring the amazing team at Third Floor or those other guys. And I just wanted to figure out stuff as a director myself, just on a laptop, right? Just to block some shots out to see the pacing as the script was being written. But like, as I was seeing the results come out, like, you know, these are just like standard captures, no ray tracing or anything fancy. You know, we're showing these to executives. Executives' minds were blown away. They're like, wow, you know, we can see the movie. And, you know, I come from usually traditionally, you have to do storyboards, you got to do concept art. And that's when a light bulb hit my head. I'm like, hang on a sec. If they're thinking this is like really good, what if we put a bit more love and time into like maybe ray tracing and, you know, put a bit more time in the assets and really create something quite, close to finish, what could we get? And we did an experiment. We tested that with a pilot earlier this year and we got some amazing feedback. And then from there, I started to utilize that and say, how can we blend that with live action? And you know, earlier this year, I started work with Sun over at Rebellion working um, just on game trailers. And you know, we got an opportunity to shoot you know, the Mandalorian style screens. And that was when it became evident as a filmmaker where you, know, you could utilize the visual effects team the DP, the production, all at the same time in prep, which bear in mind, my last project, especially the television show, prep was like a luxury to get an additional week if we were lucky. You know, it, most of the time it's like, put it in post, get it done in post, don't worry about it. Whereas now we're in a position where VFX is, as it should have been, is so integral to like, even right at script stage. And that's when we realized like, oh my God, you know, th there's a paradigm shift here where we're now being able to see things much quicker and faster whether it's previous, whether it's tech viz, we're seeing qualities that isn't like sliding gray objects. Like, you know, I remember previous back in the day, you know, I worked on the dark night, we did previous on that. And we're just sliding objects and stuff. Now we actually got like full experiences where if you look at the sort of people you work with in the film industry, a lot of them are executives, a lot of them produce, a lot of decision makers are not so savvy on the tech. So to be able to show them something that is quite close to the vision, I found I was getting sign-offs way quicker than I was back like you know two years ago where i had to do iterations after iterations so that's where i started to realize the power of real time in filmmaking especially things like television where speed is of the essence and percival the shoot that me and sun worked on we shot it like it was a tv show you know we we only had a few days to shoot it we only had like two weeks of prep and that's a really good example where you can start to see television especially in the covid climate we're in where you can have sort of like protocols on set with minimal crew and do a lot of the visual effects, all the heavy work way in advance. But most importantly, I found was decisions were being made and signed off way earlier on, which is a very interesting experience to have from a filmmaker because usually you have to wait for dailies to come through and you get all your feedback and notes and you end up changing the movie in the edit as they do and in post because they can. Whereas with virtual production, it kind of forces me as a director to think more about my decisions and make the decisions right right at the start, but also have time to play without going into the onset time where your AD is constantly looking at your watch going, hey, you, you only have like two seconds to get that shot. Yeah. So um, all of that has really changed my filmmaking and directing experience for the better, but also like 
speed massively I've just noticed mm. so it, it allows for the creative process to uh, you know to come to its fruition earlier but also continue throughout rather than it being so segmented the way it is in production yeah, and bring in yeah and AJ yeah. touched on that as well like you know where bringing as many people on as possible, like the DP, the production designer, the VFX team, you know, producers as well, you know, and you know, executives love to be involved as much as they can because they're, they're on set, right? And now they feel like they can see stuff as early and chime in as early as they can. So then when you get into the edit, there isn't this nasty surprise from, from producers or executives, oh my God, what did you shoot? That's not what you pitched us, you know? And, but also, you know, from a filmmaker point of view, everyone gets to work together and make decisions way in advance. I think for me, that's the big thing everyone come in as early as possible because usually like DP gets in like weeks after production designer gets hired a bit earlier but never have I seen that everyone's literally in the same room do, you know figuring stuff out at this early stage even during script stage and I think that's going to be a big change massively. And, and AJ do you, how do you think the you know within a normal production process post normally sits at the end. How do you think the, the post crew feel about being moved further up the, the process? Yeah, I think the post crew finds uh, massive efficiencies when not only when they're involved in the earlier process, but when the creatives are really more hands-on in the, in the creative process. And I'll give you an example of kind of to, to drive into what Haz was talking about. On The Lion King, uh, there's that shot where we are cresting the, the canyon with the wildebeest. And, you know, no spoilers, but it's right before uh, Mufasa dies. Um, so, <laughs> sorry, Saul. Um, so um, we were all on stage and we're here with the director, the DP, the VFX supervisor, the VFX company. We're all trying to figure out the, the way that John wants to dynamically shoot that shot. Um, and by dynamic, I mean, he wants to be in the action. He wants the audience to feel like the, the threat of the wildebeest is real. So we started on the stage with a camera that was kind of like on a simulated camera car driving through the action with the wildebeest. And it was good, but it wasn't really what he wanted. So then we kind of lifted the camera up and did like a pseudo helicopter shot over the wildebeest as they crest the canyon. That was better, but it still wasn't exactly what he wanted. So what we did was we attached the camera to John. He went in VR and he flew the exact route like a, like a like Superman. And the camera followed his action into the canyon, the exact moments he wanted, the exact curves he wanted. This was his vision that he himself was flying. He wasn't giving, handing it off to a helicopter pilot. He wasn't handing it off to a layout artist to kind of move the camera. This was his move. So when he took the headset off, he's like, that's the shot, that's it, I nailed it. That's exactly what my vision was. And what happens is when that shot makes it to visual effects, when all that camera data and, and, uh, and set data goes to visual effects, there's, not, there's a much lower chance of a revision happening in post. At that point, the director did that shot with his own hands. There's a sense of ownership where he's like, no, 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 no one touched that shot. Don't clean up those curves. Those mistakes were mine because that is the way a human is shooting this movie. And for him, that was, that took about 35 minutes on stage where in visual effects to do the amount of layout and sampling and trial and error to find that shot would have taken days, if not weeks. Mm -hmm. So that's just like one of the many examples of how the efficiencies found when putting your creatives into the process as early as possible translate into savings, not only in visual effects, but for the movie in general. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. 
Um, and Hisan, from uh, I'm sure that you have, um, have have loved more than anything in your career working with Has um, on on his films and ventures together. Uh, from your perspective, what have you found that the, you know the benefits of you know of turning things around quickly with virtual production have been? Yeah, so I think I just want to echo what Taz and probably AJ was saying on the efficiency front. And also I want to sort of talk a little bit about reusability and using the asset or carry on the asset all the way from pre-production all the way to the stuff that being turned up on the screen, really. So on personal, we had uh, two weeks time to prep everything from storyboard um, to the day that the stuff has to be on the screen, really. So instead of like in traditional, you do previous and then you kind of check out the previous meshes and the set environment or rebuild everything again, we just didn't have that time to do it. So we previous or storyboard use the, uh, the environment, the real environment set that's already has like a quite high fidelity of the, the geometry, the texture, the lightings um, and, and everything that already give a much more um, visualized uh, storyboard uh, for the for the has and the and the executive to uh, to to take a look. So the sign off process was much much quicker because they already see what the shot might look like by presenting that in that format. And so when the shot was signed off, we literally took the storyboard and took the set and enhanced it on top of it. And those assets are carried all the way. To the final pixel on the LED screen that on the day you shoot. So that efficiency within that two to three weeks time is really, really kind of compressed. And uh, without this real-time technology, I don't think we would have, a, if we do this traditionally, I don't think we would have been able to do this in this short amount of time. And also when we are on set, we still be able to tweak those stuff, which is usually you won't be able to do it. You would wait a month until the post-production team to key all the green screens out and replace the set extensions and everything. What this enabled us on the day or the day before the prep, we kind of get together, we rehearsal everything together, and we look this stuff on the screen with has together with the camera angle that he chose, and we did some final tweaks interactively with has DOP as well at the same time. We worked really closely together on to nail the virtual set as well as the, the real physical set together. So we can move the pillar here. Oh, that, that gives much better perspective, but we need to move the digital set there to give that perspective even more. And we did that on set. We changed the lighting on the set as well. You know, all the stuff we did do, which we wouldn't be able to do, I think traditionally, that interactive experience. And that's, I think is kind of, it's really, uh, the key thing for this whole thing to gel everything together. That's probably the biggest advantage, I think, of the whole thing. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And you kind of touched upon the, the phenomena that is the universal asset that this yeah. technology creates. Um, That's the right word. So do you feel as if people are beginning to sort of understand the benefits and, and you know, capitalizing on the universal asset that a, that a game engine can create? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's been it's been a methodology of all 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 post production facilities are trying to get one set of CG assets because every time you have to reconvert it or retool it for every every shot, every production, even the idea of 
moving from one movie to another, you know, the sequel in two or three years time, you're kind of throwing out everything and restarting. It's just a waste of everyone's time and energy. And so the idea that uh, you have a unified asset, and it sounds as boring as anything else, but it's actually fucking awesome, is the idea that we're not wasting time and energy on things that aren't needed. We can put that time and energy into the creativity, the storytelling, the output, instead of into the process. And none of us want to be slowed down by the process. It's not like it's going to make us um, make everything in, like 10 times cheaper by doing it, but it could make it 10 times better. I think that's a kind of exciting place for it. Um, so yeah, the unified asset stuff is really cool. And also as the technologies have stepped forward, that um, confidence, um, and as you were talking about, has a confidence and kind of consensus on, on set means that the iterations of those loop cycles of getting notes from a director again and again and again is soul crushing as a post person of like, oh, they want me to move it 10 pixels to the left. They want me to move it five pixels back to the right. They want it, and it's just, it's, it's, it's not actually being put into the final picture or putting money in that. Whereas if everyone's there and sees it and can do it on set, that consensus and confidence that the movie is correct, maybe some tweaks, but it's not the same thing. So the asset itself um, and having that unified asset is really cool. What's gonna evolve in the next, say 12 months is with the next generation of engines and specifically your engine with UE5 is that you are solving one of the other big things, which is the, the, um, the assets themselves don't need to have the same kind of degradation of level of detail. Polygons are, a, you know, in, an en in a game engine, normally, you know, they are the enemy. We're trying to reduce them so that we can uh, make everything move, move more efficiently. Now with UE5 that you've managed to kind of tweak that, we can keep a film quality asset in the engine, in the pipeline all the way through. So use it on set, use it in games, use it for final pixels. I think that's really, really cool. The other thing is that, you know, virtual production is very important now because of, you know, our, in the in the pandemic and post pandemic, it allows us to do a lot of stuff. But it has some other interesting things is that it's I think it's going to be much better for our impact on the environment. Mm -hmm. We don't have to send an entire crew to the middle, middle of the Sahara, all their flights, all their accommodation, all their driving, all their impact. We can actually start thinking about trying to you know, use it for environmental impact as well. The other thing is that it's, it is just painting on glass. You know, we've been doing this since the first visual effects in 1920s. We just have really big LED pieces of glass now, so it's not new. Um, but I think it's exciting how it's enabling people like Has to tell stories better. And that's the bit, getting past the technology. Yes, there's a bunch of geeky, nerdy people that need to fucking make this thing work and pull together. But it's in the, it seems to be now that it's in the kind of, progression of telling better stories, which I think is the exciting bit. I think one of the things that I love, once you can switch the creative switch, it's so wonderful that you don't have to live within a frame anymore. And that stories, you know, you create universes, um, you know, and even on LED stage, when you're creating your environment, it, it, it doesn't have to be a flat environment it's a it's a 360 environment that you can spin around you can be around you can enter into you can come out of and just having that kind of creative scope to have a universe of a stage um, and then be able to move around it at, at your will within the shooting process it, you know it must be incredible yeah you know um one of the things we did on percival was because our screen wasn't a 360 right we had like i don't know it was like maybe 
220 degrees or something. I mean, it was just this, right? Which means that, you know, in your typical, you know, when I do my shot, this is a director, I'll do my, my, you know, my master shot. I've got my 50 fifties and I've got like the reverse shot, you know, to, you know, there's, there's two people conversation or whatever. And when we did a reverse shot, it's interesting because you just like, literally, you don't have to move anyone. You just <laughs> rotate that background and maybe adjust some of the foreground objects and literally it's done. And yeah. it is from that, we start to realize that as we were moving that, we start to see the lights move and reflections. We're like, we can do a time-lapse sequence out of that. And then from there, new ideas end up being generated from that. And I think it's because of that real-time speed, we literally just whip, whip the set around or whip the lights around. Like Sun was saying, we can move stuff around. But not, it's not just about tech wizards or an Unreal Engine artist being on a computer moving the set around. The production designers are involved as well. You know, they're like, okay, well, if you flipped your set around, we got to move this over here. we got to move that over there. And it's just become such as like a really fun thing to be able to reverse a shot. Because traditionally on live action, it's like, okay, we're reversing now. Everyone turn around. And it's like, oh, you got to move everything around. Continuity, you got to do all of that stuff. Comes a bit of a, oh. Whereas on this, it was so much more fun. Because it was like being in this like virtual space and seeing things move around you. It's really cool. I, you know, I hope I don't lose that butterfly feeling the more I do this kind of thing. It is, it is a bit of a, of a, of a double-edged sword though, right? It has like, and to speak to Sally Ann, to one of the things you brought up in the beginning of like the, the issues with it, mm -hmm. it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Like we spent, we found ourselves once in a while on Lion King realizing that we just spent the last two hours art directing leaves on a branch. <laughs> because we could, because every branch was adjustable, because every light was adjustable, because every blade of grass was adjustable. And so we have to find that balance of efficiencies Mm -hmm. inside this infinite playground to be able to actually still make your day. I mean, it's great. It's, it allows the filmmakers to really find their vision. Uh, but at a certain point, you have to move on. You need yeah. a good first AD. You get a good first AD and, you know, that person will keep it. And we're lucky we had a good first AD. So, you know, as much as like me, son, Evan, the DP wanted to you know, have fun move stuff, that clock is still ticking regardless. Yeah. So I think was, you're always- There was definitely production pressure, so on the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the two halves yeah. of it are, you know, there is the in-camera visual effects work, which you're doing, which is large LED backdrops that are adaptable to the world. And that allows you to put your characters and move them around sets quicker. And then there's the uh, slightly more involved, which is the completely CG work. So, you know, previs or, you know, um, as AJ, they built the entire film and then basically rendered it at a higher quality. I've heard AJ speak a couple of times. I think it's interesting just that the, the process of how you brought all those traditional skilled people into a virtual environment to make a film with traditional tools. I think you, you did some pretty interesting stuff of iterating daily and giving them, you know, quick builds and quick tools. Yeah, we, uh, we, we found that there was, a, you know, it's Hollywood. It's, there's a wealth of experience and people who have been working in this town for their entire lives. And the last thing we wanted to do as a tech company is do what tech companies do and say, out with the old, in with the new. Like they're obviously, our VP was Caleb Deschanel. He is a, his, you know, a storied filmmaker, has a long career. Um, and what we didn't want to do is give him a game controller and have him operate camera with a game controller. We had to give him the equipment he's used to and the people he's used to manage that equipment. So we built traditional dollies, O'Connor heads, um, focus, his fizz, his, his Preston fizz that he was given by Howard Preston 35 years ago, we encoded that and then made that the, the fizz for, this, for the shoot. So every tool he's used to from his traditional filmography, he was able to use and we just digitized the data and put it into the engine 
so that he was familiar with that. And by kind of jumping over that hurdle of the tech and just jumping right into the filmmaking, we took away that, that, that barrier of entry that would make it hard for, for, for somebody who had to learn the tech as well. Um, before we move off from your amazing segue, AJ, um, about your art-directed leaves, let's let's cover off a few more uh, of, of the you know the, the watchouts that you know when people are embarking upon their you know maybe their first virtual production or just having a play with the technology or becoming a little bit more familiar. What are the things that they um, they they could should would look out for or, or just some issues that maybe you have come across and, and we can learn from? Uh, well, I, I'll go first, I'll go first. Um, I think the big thing for me was like, you know, like I can get super excited with tech as a lot of filmmakers do. Oh. And, um, and you know, one of the things I remember doing was I was just like throwing tons, you know, telling son, let's just put loads of stuff in the scene, this, this big cathedral scene, put loads of geometry, let's have particles and stuff, it looked great. And the original idea was I wanted loads of fire and stuff. and. Um, and you know when we did our tech, we had a one-day tech recce where we you know we tested the scenes out. We realized like God, you know, scale is a big thing. You really got to get your head around scale because you know you put a pillow that's like this high, you know, on in your Unreal Engine, you project and it's on the LED screen. Everything's got to sit well. So if you've got particles and they're like big, massive particles moving around, it's gonna be cause a bit of a problem. So there was scale issues. The other thing we found was having particles moving around is when the, because, you know, virtual production is literally really about the virtual world synchronized, the virtual camera synchronized with your real camera, right? So in our case, we're shooting on the Arri Alexa, right? So, um, and it's tied with a, with a piece of system called NCAM, which basically tracks the camera, right? Now, when things are moving around, that tracker has to figure out what to track, right? Usually you have corners on, on, you know, on your image that you can track. Now we have particles. So you can imagine with particles moving around, the, the NCAM's like, oh, I don't know what I'm tracking. So we had to be very creative in where we position particles. So we end up just having tiny little embers on the side that wasn't so distracting. And, um, and also like, you know, the way we position foreground objects. So that all of this becomes massive in terms of like problem solving. Cause a lot of the problem solving was how do you, how do I still get the shot I want, but be open to make changes creatively and not debate about, oh, it's not the perfect shot but really make it work technically and creatively yeah. and again that's working with the vfx you know some like sun working with the guys at ncan working with satori the other people that had the disguise and you realize all these expertise are so important when you as a filmmaker has to make that creative decision so that's one of the things we overcome a lot you know a lot of these kind of problems by you know making sure that there was no egos on set everyone just kind of chipped in um latency is another thing as well like you know obviously the more heavy you're seeing, you know, it's going to be a bit slow to move around. So you've got to be very smart. And I think, you know, like Sun could probably back me up on this, but having, you know, Rebellion being a games company, they're so used to creating optimized environments. Yeah. I think having a way of working in an optimized way would kind of help you get something that looks really nice on screen. But at the same time, you've got this speed and efficiency, not battening against 8K textures or crazy amount of, CPU particles and you should be using GPU particles, you know, all of that usual stuff. Um, so I think a lot of that again comes down to prep, you know, mm -hmm. like we realized that thank God we were able to have a lot of time in, well, a lot of time, two weeks in prep because like, <laughs> you know, originally it was supposed to be one week, but we, we all forced for two weeks. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
that's, um, that's, that's, that's pretty much it, really. I think the key thing is also like, uh, because the NCAM technology um, is, is essentially like a spatial mapping technology. So the way we kind of get around with the, the, uh, the tracking issue is that each time, the more foreground object, the more physical set you have, the better tracking you get. So, um, but opposite to that is the more stuff you're moving on the screen, the worse the tracking you're going to get. So, so we have to work around with that. And partly my job was just staring at the screen, making sure every take, which take is not sliding. A lot of time was just that as well. Oh, we have to retake this. Oh, has like this was so good, but we have to retake this. Otherwise, I have to replace everything you see during. Which, yeah. which kind of suggests <laughs> that it doesn't matter how amazing your virtual environment is. It doesn't matter how um, intricate it is and how creative it is. Unless you have great stage design, unless your foreground environment is, yes. you know, is as purposeful, then the illusion will, will fall. Correct. And that's exactly what in, you know, worked for us on Percival. We knew like, you know, we, I think, I think we, at some shots we had sort of like 60% foreground leaves and the other 40% was the background. But also yeah. let's just not forget that we didn't just use the LED screens for the environments. We use it to light the most of the environment. In yeah. fact, we only had one light, one little LED panel light just to get some key lights, you know, when the guy took his helmet off. But because, you know, it's a knight in shiny armor, like literally, you know, we had all these reflections. We were actually not only aligning our position of our background, you know, in, in on the LED screen to look good, like perspective and art directed wise, but also from a lighting perspective as well. You know, so we had bits of like pockets of orange in the top right corner. We had pockets of blues at the bottom there. And, you know, as a shot on its own, you're like, okay, that looks a bit trippy. But when you look at it in camera, it all makes sense. And that's just a combination of, of the cinematographer having ideas of like putting his virtual gels in a way, but on a virtual camera to way to light it. And, you know, it just, in a way, it becomes kind of like, you know, taking all the old school or traditional ways of making films, because those rules still are still mm -hmm. applied. You still need like good focus pulling, right? You still need good like shot composition. But and then you're kind of like, then going into guerrilla filmmaking where you're figuring out how to like make stuff happen on the day so quickly and a lot of that is just having fun with the way you're moving the lights around the way you position things and um yeah so you know the led screen is like i think for any filmmaker is understanding what the led screen can do apart from just displaying a cg environment synchronized with your camera if you have an understanding not from a technical point of view but from a like from a you know like execution point of view you know what it can be done then as a filmmaker, when you're making decisions, when you're designing shots, you know you can light it like this. You know if you position it like this with some foreground, you can get this kind of shot. And I think it's an education process simply just by testing and working in a group. So we're, we're kind of flying through our time. So um, that, that kind of did touch upon, um, you know, what, what does it mean? What does virtual production mean for, for a crew? What does it mean for the production community? Um, and I think that has you are a director that have thrown themselves whole body lead into um, Unreal, into game engine technology. But, you know, but what about if you're a director and, and you're not, you know, you don't feel as if you are that type of, um, you know, fully, uh, you know, you don't want to fully immerse yourself in a game engine. How do you still feel you can be successful in the space? Absolutely. For sure. I mean, I've, I've, said this a numerous amount of times in this conversation but like this would never happen without 
you know, the visual effects team without the amazing people at Satori. So, you know, if you're a director that don't, that, that may that want to get too technically involved, which is fine because you want to focus on the story, you want to focus all the stuff that directors should be thinking about, um, then it really is about having conversations with key people. You know, I, you know, me and Sun will have tons of conversations before they're leading up to the shoot. And a lot of those conversations weren't technical conversations. A lot of them was like logistics and also, you know, someone to know what the story is about, you know, what was my intent of the shot. And that's no different to when you're shooting traditional live action. So mm -hmm. I say any filmmaker that wants to dive into the whole virtual production world, you don't need to, to like change the way you work like drastically. You still need all those skill sets. I think a lot of it is, uh, firstly, what is the story you're telling, right? You know, secondly, does it need LED screens? Can it be done in a different way? You know, why would you use LED screens? How does that enhance your storytelling? These are sort of questions I would, as a filmmaker, if I wasn't so savvy with tech, that's the approach I would take. But also have conversations. You know, everyone is so approachable these days. I'm having more Zoom conversations with people that I never thought I'd be having conversations <laughs> with. You know, that's like one sort oh, of yeah. just... <laughs> Um, So I could see you nodding furiously there. So I feel as if you you have something really epic to add. <laughs> well, I think it... I think there's an interesting, so getting getting involved with the technologies, it can feel very, uh, very techy, but the software is getting more and more straightforward to use. And once you break the back of it, it doesn't take you know, a huge amount of time. You can get under the skin pretty quickly. And the amount of like online resources, which are for free, the software is for free. And in fact, you can start doing virtual production with basically whatever laptop you have and an iPad, and that can be your virtual camera and you're away. And that can do pretty much everything you need to do to kind of get going with it. Then it's about stepping up and iterating. Same as you can make a feature film on your iPhone if you wanted to. It's just going to be a lot harder and it's going to look like it's shot on an iPhone. Then you get like a steady camera. Blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a stepping stone, but it's the same tool. I think that's kind of interesting, but it's not like, you know, shooting on a Canon and shooting on an Arri and you're like, well, they're different. Well, this is no, this is still Unreal Engine. This is just someone who's been using it for a little bit longer and has a higher fidelity. Um, the other one I think is interesting is that filmmaking now, because of the, the assets being the same and because of the engine now powering it is, that there's going to be a point when you may decide that you don't need any physical, you know, actors at all. You know, we're going to keep them completely digital and it's going to be a completely animated feature, you know, animated in quotes but it's going to be all out of engine and there isn't going to need to be anybody brought into it because we use motion capture to drive our digital characters or anything else. And so the, the stepping stone from what AJ was doing through to previs through to animated feature is a very short step. And it, which means that directors like has and storytellers that want to tell their films that may not be able to afford a set or a location or have certain actors and actresses or, you know, not have access to the tools actually have all the tools in front of you now to create any short or any mid or any feature you'd like just in a slightly stylized look and within you know a couple of iterations it's it's photorealistic the stories are phenomenal mm -hmm. humans will be solved within the next kind of 24 months and so the tooling and enabling for people you know directors cinematographer filmmakers to create films and not just try and like script them and do some like crappy storyboards and try and like convince people to see their film you as you said earlier as you you're showing them in the movie. Mm. And I think that that step is the bit that's really exciting. Mm. It's It feels like it's a technology barrier, but I promise you, everyone on this call, it's not. Within a weekend and some, you know, a bit of time and some of the basic tutorials, you can 
get a good understanding and start creating worlds and telling stories and shooting your own films. And, and AJ, it, it sounds as if you've become adapt at, at working you know, within this tech-driven production environment, but not necessarily with key players that are tech savvy. What kind of advice would you give to, you know, just to, let's say, normal crew members that at this moment in time aren't, aren't tech savvy, aren't Unreal Engine savvy, aren't kind of, they're not into this, this space yet. What kind of advice would you give them to just to feel more comfortable on a virtual production set? Well, the virtual production set could, you know, obviously vary depending on whether you're doing animation like Lion King or whether you're doing live action like Mandalorian. Um, the Mandalorian style stages, you still have positions for all those crew members, just like you do on a traditional set. There, there is additional technologies when it comes to the LED wall, but you still have gaffers, you still have grips, you still have electricians, you have greensmen, set deck, you have all those traditional roles. It's kind of marrying the technology with traditional filmmaking that, uh, that allows kind of everyone to bring their expertise to the table. Like no one's getting, no, no crafty person or set deck is getting replaced by a robot or by virtual production. They are just augmenting their jobs by working inside of this new world. Now I will give a word of advice that there has been this trend of people moving towards LED walls as this silver bullet gonna solve all my, all my issues and this is gonna be the magical way of filmmaking for the future. People are seeing it as kind of this hollow deck vision of the future where they can put anything, anything on the walls and I'll be able to shoot it well. And I think that that needs a little bit of kind of like a pump the brakes a bit because it is a fantastic solution for scenes and shots that, that have been kind of scripted and work uh, and built to work inside these worlds but it does not fix everything. There will always be a need for going to a stage or going to a location with your proper film crew and, and just shooting stuff traditionally. Um, the, the LED wall and all the technologies that are advancing are phenomenal and they're allowing creatives to get more into the, the process that they used to only have to kind of be involved in via email or via screening room. Now they can be more hands-on, but there is always going to be a need for traditional filmmaking and traditional filmmaking crews. Yeah, I think that the joy is the layering of the technology and the craft. Uh, and that, you know, that's that's kind of where you find the magic. I don't, mm -hmm. you can't have one without the other. And so, um, thank you for your watch out. I think we're kind of running out of time a little bit, so I'm going to bounce through a few of the questions, unless you guys are desperate to say something else. <laughs> No, okay, I'm gonna bounce through a few of the questions. So I must admit, a lot of the questions are about, um, they kind of come in at, how do I ac access this technology? Which we can kind of, you know, go into. And also um, how if you aren't a big budget, Mandalorian, Lion King size production, um, how if you are much more of a short film, um, smaller production, can you utilize virtual production? Um, who wants to open up with that? I'll take this one. Uh, so Magnopus, ever since kind of Lion King, uh, Magnopus and Epic have had a pretty phenomenal relationship where uh, we have been designing and writing a bunch of tools directly into Unreal Engine. Unreal Engine, as most people know, is a free piece of software up to a certain point, as long as you're not using it for game development. Uh, well, up to a certain point again. But... <laughs> just by downloading media and entertainment it is a free piece of software 
Media Entertainment is a free piece of software. Only, only gaming, only gaming you need to worry about licensing. Yeah. In Media and Entertainment, it's a free piece of software. So by building, we've been building these tools inside the engine. So what you get in the vanilla Unreal are a series of tools designed for virtual production. There is VR scouting as one of the many tools to allow you to enter your virtual worlds. So all you need is a $300 VR headset and a computer that's capable of doing VR and an environment. And inside that environment, you can do storyboarding, you can do animations, you can do cinematography, you can do lighting, set decorating, all within the tools that are built into Unreal Engine. The new version of Unreal Engine will also provide new virtual camera tools to do exactly what Saul was talking about, iPad with your laptop, and really explore your space outside of VR. All you need is a laptop um, to act as your virtual camera. So there are really inefficient and accessible ways to just start getting into the space without needing to build a system from scratch, without needing to get millions of dollars of LED walls. Just kind of entering the world and seeing what the capabilities are, unlock certain spatial aspects of your brain that allow you to see your space in a new way. Mm, no, that's really smart. Um, yeah, I, just, I, I was going to just quickly add on that real quick. Like for me, like last year, like when the live action kind of scenario kind of like dried up for me, like I was getting the feeling of missing out on set, like really like FOMO, like, oh my God, I want to go back on set, but I'm in development. So what I did was, you know, with the Unreal Engine, you know, I was able to knock up the scene real quick, but I didn't want to just move my Wacom pen on my mouse and make computer camera moves because they always felt very like CG, right? So the minute that like, I just went to YouTube, just Google like, you know, virtual camera, iPad, and there's like tons of tutorials, especially loads on um, Epic's website. And literally within 10 minutes, I was able to synchronize my iPad wirelessly to my laptop and I started moving around and it started to feel like a real camera and I started to switch lenses and do all that stuff. And all of a sudden I'm like, holy shit, I I'm on set. I feel like I'm on set. I don't have that feeling. And it's great. So, you know, it's as simple as that. You, you know, you don't need to be technically savvy. You just need to download the software, watch the, the, the 10 minute tutorial or something, have an iPad or even a phone. You don't just need the iPad. You can use your iPhone as well. And you start moving around. And the minute you start moving around that set, I guarantee you, you'll get the same butterfly feeling as I got. Like, wow, I'm actually on a virtual set here. I'm making a movie. Yeah. And, and we're, um, oh, got his side. Sorry, I was just, I want to add a real quick on the LED side as well. Like the, the technology that Epic provides is called End Display, which you can run is on multiple TV even. You can literally have the, you know, computer set up and have your multiple TV, the standard TV as your kind of LED panel. And you can run and display test on that. So your TV or your TA could uh, could do those tests without having to buy those very expensive screens anyway. So for testing, yeah. Um, and there's, there's lots of questions about um, the hardware uh, coming into the UK and LED screens and the availability of them. Um, and, and, you know, my understanding are that there's lots and lots of studios and stages in production at the moment. Um, it's all, it's all very R&D. Uh, here and now, I would say that there's a handful that can produce something of value. But I think in six months time, there will be, oh my gosh, times five of that. And then in six months after that and after that. So, um, if you are interested, uh, then kind of tap into your local community um, and, and learn about 
this type of filmmaking. And then when you come out the other side in six months time, I think there will be many, many opportunities to go into stages that, you know, that will be, you know, ready for demos, ready for practice shoots and smaller shoots. Um, even at the lab we're setting up, um, we have our LED screens in place now to, to help people come and play and understand and get a real feel for the technology. So I think it'll be more widely available. And therefore, I think, you know, once there's more and more available, it will become more and more, uh, uh, more, and more affordable for shoots and for productions. Um, another, another, another question was kind of hacks which I think we've kind of talked about how we how we begin to sort of learn in engine about filmmaking. But I know we saw uh, six months ago, even when this felt like less of a headline conversation, we were seeing some really great indie films where they were not quite LED screens. They were much more just screens using the background with, with very simple. There are, there are low level ways of playing with this technology for indie filmmakers. And we've seen some really great examples. And I think it goes back to exactly what you guys were saying in that get in engine, have a play, open that, that mindset uh, with how you can use screens in a three-dimensional production environment. And then I think the hacks will become obvious in a way. Unless you have any that you want to add. Not really. No, I think, I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it right Yeah, now. totally nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let me have a quick look and see if there's any other... Um, there's a few questions about how would... Uh, how much would... You say VP Studio set is worth on a daily basis in comparison to a traditional studio. So there's, there's lots of questions about cost. Um, I personally get a lot of these questions all the time. Um, and it's, it's a little bit of an unknown quantity at the moment because most of the, the studios that are set up as, as you know, big LED masses um, aren't really a commercial studio. You know, they're there for the Mandalorian, they're set up for big screen environments. And so, um, I, you know, the, it's, it's hard to say. And it's also like any production, how long do you want it for? What is, what's your intention? So it, it's very hard. I think that if you do need to budget out this type of um, film, then you need to get together with a studio or with the, some of the hardware suppliers um, and, and, you know, pull together a budget based on your needs. Um, and all I can really say, all I can be certain of is that it will get cheaper. It will get, at the moment, it's kind of living in a slightly cost prohibitive space, but over the next six months and beyond, it will get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Yeah. Yeah, just, just, oh, I've got oh, Yeah, no, it will because, um, you know, for the first couple of years of LED wall production specifically, everything was a bespoke solution. Everything was built custom to the needs of that project. So new technologies were made and new build outs for walls were made for the needs of that project. The next, I mean, just right now, the number of LED wall facilities, stages coming online in the next six months is in the hundreds. And these stages are not built for a project, they're built for rental use. So you can go to a stage, find the facility that's going to match the size and technology requirements for your show, pixel pitch, uh, size of the volume, uh, brightness of the volume, like extra extra tools that they offer. Uh, and you can go in for rentals for the days that you need as opposed to having to build a stage to accommodate 80% of your shoot that is super cost prohibitive. So in the next six to 12 months, 
the, the cost is going to come way down as people can rent these facilities as opposed to purchase them. Yeah, definitely. And just, just to add on what you said, AJ, what you, you said what I was going to say anyway. But um, I mean, for me, like, I'm in a position where I'm also costing things out, you know, for the next feature. And what I found is like, you know, you kind of have to like, just like you change your filmmaking style as a filmmaker, you kind of need to tweak the way you budget as well. Like you need to allocate a lot of, a lot of budget and time. Know for a fact you need to build your CGI assets way in advance and not leave that as a posting. Now, obviously, you know, depending on your movie, depends where you're shooting, there's different tax incentives, different countries have different tax incentives, like Canada is an amazing one, the UK too. So, you know, you have to, as a producer's hat, you've got to utilize that. But at the same time, you've got to really understand why you need LED screen. Just, just having it because of the sake of it's COVID friendly isn't really an efficient way of producing, right? As we, you know, I'm sure most people on this call know. But the thing is that you really have to have these conversations with like the first thing that I would do is I'll go into a Facebook group, like the virtual production Facebook group, and see like who, who is actually offering those services in your area or in your country. And it's simply just dropping an email and say, hey, I have a movie. It's a 22-day shoot. We have you know 10 days where we're doing this interior. We were originally going to shoot in New York. We can't, but we have CG environments. Can you tell us how much it would cost for this? We're going to have the crew of this size. We're going to have, you know, just really spec it out. And then you get start getting quotes. This is new tech. And most of these people building those stages want the business. They also want these case studies, they want these projects. So yeah, you're in this kind of, not like a Turkish market haggling sort of thing, but more of like, you can negotiate and make this work for both parties. So in a way, you shouldn't be afraid of like, oh my God, it's a day rate of this. Be open to negotiate because you know they, everyone needs that business. But really, put a lot of the time understanding like how you can shift that budget around to make it work because budgeting for virtual production is almost like it's a separate little mini masterclass on its own because you can't just take a traditional shoot and go okay we're not going to shoot live action um environments we're going to put a screen how much is the cost of the screen it's a bit more than that mm, yeah at the minute there's definitely we've you know done some quotes recently where the bespoke facility was almost 200 grand a week like it was bespoke and that's the size it was needed for that's what they wanted to do whereas non-bespoke rock up use someone else's thing 15 20 grand a day and you just turn up i need it for one day cool i'm out mm. and the next person plugs in plugs in their tech and it's something else the next day because it's not bespoke those prices will change over time but as you said it's about understanding like the creative and requirements and if you can talk to the director and talk about, you know, his vision, if you can nudge his vision left or right slightly, you might be able to half the budget, you know, depending on what has to be created in that world. And it's all a playoff between time and budget and creative. Uh, mm -hmm. Creativity is unbounded, obviously. Just on to follow on from Sally Ann a minute ago. Um, BAFTA obviously is very much trying to kind of spin up support for virtual production across the entire ecosystem. So Sam, who's uh, cool until Sue second. Um, has been representing BAFTA Games and they've been pushing forward for the virtual production stuff because it feels a lot like games at the moment. But like I said, it brings the two together. And I know that they'll be putting out lots of um, work on the BAFTA website and kind of news, news articles and also best practices guides over the next six months. So I'm sure we'll all be feeding into those. And, and to, to spin off that um, on the Epic Games website, there are... Um, a load of resources, uh, everything from, 
tutorials, to white papers, to webinars, to case studies and spotlights. Uh, and and it, it's really smart and it's really clever. It's from lots of different perspectives. There are tutorials that are specifically speaking to uh, production uh, staff, uh, VFX artists, helping them understand how their craft can be um, used and uh, partnered with the engine. So do go on to unrealengine.com forward slash learning. Uh, and then specifically virtual production, we have uevirtualproduction.com where you'll find specific information about virtual production. Once again, lots of resources, lots of case studies uh, and lots of um, spotlights. So people talking about their own experiences. Um, we're kind of out of time, guys. Uh, I know, it's gone. Super you could talk for hours. <laughs> I know. Uh, thank you so much, everyone. Thank, thank you, BAFTA, for having us. Thank you, BAFTA audience, for coming and joining us. Thank you so much, guys, for being here and sharing your personal experiences of virtual production, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, um, and hopefully, um, we'll see you all soon. Thanks. Thanks, Sally. Thanks, Thanks Hans. See you, AJ.